Confessions is about the individual uh, quest and and then for friendship, and and then um, City of God is about the communal quest um, and through history and, and the whole of human history, and then 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 you get to to De Trinitate, and, and that's of course so so crucial because um, what he's showing is there is the um, the the true ascent, the deepest friendship, the deepest peace. Uh, that we can obtain, which is which is to contemplate the Holy Trinity and to to begin to share by knowledge and by love uh, in the in the very reality of of the divine person. Does doctrine really matter? The Apostle Paul once wrote to a young pastor named Titus, instructing him to hold firm to the trustworthy word he was taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Welcome to Credo Podcast where doctrine matters and theological ideas have consequences. Here's your host, Dr. Matthew Barrett, executive editor of Credo Magazine and associate professor of Christian theology at Midwestern Seminary. Welcome to the Credo Podcast, where doctrine matters. I am Matthew Barrett, your host. Let me ask you a question, a a, a really good question, actually. Who is the greatest theologian in the history of the church? Well, that's a very hard question. Uh, many would have different answers. Perhaps someone would say Athanasius or perhaps John Calvin uh, and, and many others. Maybe some would say Martin Luther uh, or how about Thomas Aquinas? The list could go on. But uh, even though so many of these figures are so important, one figure that comes to mind is St. Augustine. Uh, some would say he is not just one of the greatest, but perhaps the greatest theologian in the Western church. That's quite a claim, but there may be good reasons to back it up. We tend to focus on many of the writings of Augustine, say his writings on grace and original sin. Uh, we think, for example, of his anti-Pelagian writings and how critical uh, and key Augustine was in that debate. Or perhaps you've read Augustine's famous Confessions or his City of God, another uh, tome that is uh, one of the greatest books in the history of the Western Church. But what about his work on the Trinity? Perhaps you've never read Augustine on the Trinity. How does Augustine retrieve and build upon the Trinitarian theology that came before him and we could even go further and ask this question, how does Augustine's understand, understanding of the Trinity set the trajectory in the West for all theologians who come after him? Well, these are some, some rich, deep questions, some difficult questions even. And I have invited Matthew Levering, who is the James N. and Mary D. Perry Chair of Theology at Mundelein Seminary. He has written on a number of books. I've invited him to on, on the Credo podcast to discuss Augustine and his Trinitarianism, but he's written on a number of other subjects as well. You may be familiar with his book on scripture and metaphysics. Of course, he's written a, a variety of books in, in this doctrinal series with Baker Academic on subjects like creation and revelation and the Holy Spirit. He also has a book that is releasing uh, soon, if, if not already, called Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? This book will, is published with o- Oxford University Press. 
Another book that he's written that's very relevant to the Credo podcast today is The Theology of Augustine. This is one of my favorite books by Matthew Levering because he gives, in a short amount of space, he gives an introduction to Augustine's thought and ultimately shows us why Augustine is so important for the history of theology. Matthew, thank you for joining me on the Credo podcast. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much. Well, at first glance, when we look at a colossal figure like Augustine, uh, at first glance, it may seem like Augustine's uh, book on the Trinity, one of his, I think, one of his most important books in theology that he wrote, it may seem to readers that it's chaotic. Uh, I, I've, I, it hasn't been uncommon for me to uh, run into a student or two who's working through on the Trinity and just feels lost. Uh, they're, they're overwhelmed. They know Augustine's a great thinker, and that just contributes to their fear of him. And, and when they start to, to work through on the Trinity, they, they're not sure exactly uh, how to follow his train of thought, and so it can feel a little chaotic. Sometimes even lacking um, a focus configuration or structure or organization, but you've argued that there is a unity in Augustine's mind and, and in this work. The book's structure revolves around, uh, we could say oscillates around, uh, this idea of humanity's ascent to God and humanity's participation in the Trinity. Would you, just as we start, Perhaps it's best if you would just outline in some broad strokes what is Augustine's organization in this book, and could you explain how this human ascent is featured throughout uh, throughout the book from beginning to end? Uh, thank you. Yeah, that's a great question, and and I'll, I can try. I, I would begin. I would begin by going back and talking about what what I consider to be the trilogy of Augustine's greatest work. And um, now, of course, others are important as well, but if you think of Confessions, City of God, and then De Trinitate. So um, I begin there because if you look at Confessions, it's, it's really about Augustine seeking true friendship. And so he's, he's yearning he, um, to be friends, and he's, of course he has, he has friends, and there's a, um, a t- tremendous meditation on friendship there. And, and then ultimately he is... Um, you know, forgiven his sins, he comes to Christ, and, and he and he finds um, true friendship. Um, so, so confessions I would think of as being about individuals um, seeking true friendship, and that's found in union with Christ, and and then in sharing in, in God's life, and so on. And then, um, then, then, city of God. City of God is very important because it's not about it's not just individuals seeking true friendship. It's um, it's community, the whole of history, the whole of human history, uh, seeking true true peace. Uh, and so Augustine, of course, has the account of the two cities there. I think that's very important. Um, you know, the two cities, the um, city of man, the city of God, and, and the city of God going going on through history um, as a place of true true peace, which is, in fact, um, because because God is present uh, in Christ and 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 through His Spirit, um, uniting you know uniting people to Himself uh, over the course of history. And so, so Confessions is about the individual uh, quests and. And then for friendship, and and then um, City of God is about the communal quest, um, and through history and, and the whole of human history, and then 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 you get to to De Trinitate, and, and that's of course so so crucial because um, what he's showing is there is the um, the 
the true ascent, the deepest friendship, the deepest peace uh, that we can obtain, which is which is to contemplate the Holy Trinity and to to begin to share by knowledge and by love uh, in the in the very reality of of the divine persons. And so we're we're drawn in by knowledge and by love, and of course it's always an embodied knowledge and love and through Christ. But um, we're we're drawn in to that very life of, of the Holy Trinity. And that's what he's trying to show um, in in the book. I mean, that's the the purpose of the book. Um, so, so if we begin there, then then I then I make the argument. Um, I would make the argument that the book is divided into five sections, or um, into um, four sections. Apologies. <laughs> so, and then uh, essentially, I, I I would divide it this way: books one to four, and then books five to seven, books eight to eleven, books twelve to fifteen. And, and the basic the basic idea is um, in books one to four, which often are, are so difficult for um, especially for uh, readers just beginning with Augustine, you know. But in books one to four, what we get is um, the basis, the foundation of our ascent into the triune life. Of course, the the basis is the missions of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit as manifested in Scripture. And the basis, the fundamental basis, is that, that Christ and the Spirit are co-equal with the Father. That's the key thing, the key point that he's making there in those early books, is that um, Christ and the Spirit are co-equal with the Father, and therefore therefore, they can lead us into the, into the life of the Father, which is the life of the Holy Trinity. So that's the, that's the first section there of, um, of De Trinitate. Of course, it, it, can, it has some confusing parts, but, but the second section... Is about naming God. It's books five to seven, and essentially it's about um, how the New Testament names God and names um, the divine unity, the divine distinction, um, and and so on. Um, naming Christ, naming the Spirit, and and so it begins to ponder on these names. And the names are important because um, when you know someone's name, you begin to get to know them. You know who they are and who they are in their distinction, who they are in their distinctiveness. As you as you kind of get to know, um, especially a biblical name, biblical names um, lead you into the mystery of, of um, a personal mystery of God, not not just some abstract God, uh, and so and so on. And then then the, the third section is books eight to eleven, and there there Augustine is beginning to identify these created images uh, through which we can contemplate this mystery of Trini- of Trinity that the previous sections have described. And so it's um, images that give us a deeper understanding of what it is we are speaking about when when we use these names, when we use these. Um, and so he's looking for triads, essentially. Um, and then, then ultimately he comes to this image found in, in mental acts, in, in knowing and loving. And so we can talk more about that, but, but that's, that's books 8 to 11. And then finally... Um, so he's just, he's moving upward here, and then finally in books 12 to 15, um, the reflection on the image that he's given us in those earlier books are united with the earlier reflection on the missions of the Son and the Holy Spirit found in the in the very first section of the of the um, De Trinitate. So um, then in books 12 to 15, you get the highest possible participation in God the Trinity, um, and he um, really gives a profound um, contemplative. Um, insight there and then finally book 15 concludes interestingly book 15 concludes by by describing the weakness of what he has done in other words he he makes sure to tell us at the end that he he has brought us this far 
into the mystery of the God who has revealed himself in, in Holy Scripture, the, the God who is Jesus Christ, who is the Spirit and the Father. But he's, Book 15 really reminds us that, that in terms of any sort of created, rational understanding of this, it's, we have a very limited uh, understanding in this life, although, although we are already participating in the life of the Holy Trinity, um, it's still it's still limited, and so so he's not trying to do, claim any sort of rationalistic, um, you know, fullness. You know, he's just sort of getting a foretaste of of our wonderful our wonderful goal, which is to, to share in that mysterious and wonderful life of knowing and infinite knowing, infinite loving, that is our God. So he's he's giving us a foretaste. We're we're getting to share with him as he moves upward, as it were. Now, listeners may have noticed that, and, and thank you for that that outline. It's so so helpful seeing the structure. If you dive into De Trinitate at any one point, if you don't understand the context you just outlined, it, it you may lose yourself. And and but if you read it as a whole, as you just described, it, it is powerful. You you see that there's a flow of thought here. There's a development, maybe even an evolution as he progresses, and and I love how he ends there with such such humility. Uh, uh, yeah, beautiful. Now, you, listeners may have noticed though that uh, early on you mentioned uh, how Augustine goes to great lengths to defend and really stress and underline the equality of the Son and the Spirit with the Father, and if we pay attention to uh, the, the context, the centuries before Augustine, as well as his own century, uh, we realize that uh, this is in large, well, in part because of Arianism and, well, central to Augustine's Trinitarianism. He, here is the, uh, the, the patristic belief in the eternal generation of the Son from the Father, for example. Uh, and, and those Arians, they, they protested uh, this, this idea of eternal, the emphasis there on eternal generation, uh, because they said one of their arguments was, well, this is going to introduce some type of change in God, and God is supposed to be immutable. Now, how does Augustine—is this the case? How, how does Augustine respond to this type of Arian argument? Gotta cut, also cut me off if I start going on too long because the, the answer that I gave you last time probably just went on forever. So uh, you just cut me off, you know. But in terms of the Arians, well, well, you know that in terms of how that relates to De Trinitate, it's the foundation of the whole um, work is books one to four, where he's where he's really got to to say, look, you know, um, Christ and, and the Spirit, they they can't they can't unite us to the Father unless they unless they are God, unless they're fully divine. In other words, they're they're not going to we we can't ascend to the to our God through Christ and the Spirit unless they really are fully um, divine, and so that's really crucial. And so, um, in terms of the Arians, when they Augustine often typically responds by pointing to John ten thirty, you know, which, which is the um, where Jesus says, "I and the Father are one," and so and so this is um, this sort of indicates that. That the Son and the Father are one in substance, and so now the Arians, though, remember one of their key claims was that um, you can, you can't say anything about God that can describe any sort of change in God's substance, and so everything said about 
their implication of their view, really, is that everything said about God is always said about God's substance. So Augustine says, look, well, here, here's Christ saying, I and the Father are one. And so this seems to indicate um, a unity of substance. And so the Arians, of course, don't believe that, that the Son and the Father are one substance. And so, and so they, they then, Augustine kind of lets them answer for him. And so the Arians kind of respond to that by saying, well, not all statements about God are about substance. Not all statements about God are, are predicated according to substance. You know, um, they're thinking, of course, about this, I and the Father are one. And so there, Augustine, as it were, gets them to admit that um, not all, not everything, when you speak about God, you're not saying about substance all the time. You may be also speaking about relation, and relation is one of Aristotle's um, categories, um, you know, the ten accidents. The categories are, are substance and then the accidents. And so relation is um, in, in play here. And Augustine kind of shows that the Arians, their own logic would lead them to, to this kind of um, insight. That, that, in other words, when, when we talk about I and the Father are one, we're talking about a relation in one substance, the relation of Son and Father, but something that doesn't change the substance. It's not a, it's, you know, you can have a relation without, without the substance being changed. Um, and, and that's why, of course, um, a relation is, is an accident. But, so, so anyway, that's, uh, maybe that's a, a long-winded answer for uh, a good question, or, or I could I could say more, but I'll, I'll stop there just in case I'm, I'm going too long here. Well, no, let me give you the chance to say more because it, it is a difficult question. It's it's one that's not original to Augustine or even before Augustine, right? With uh, many of the patristic debates, uh, you, you think of uh, Athanasius, for example, and Nicaea, and these are some of the issues that start to come up. Is you know how do we have this classical understanding of God, uh, that he is this immutable, eternal, simple being. Uh, how, how do we transcendent? Uh, he's the creator, not the creature. How do we uh, hold on to that while at the same time understanding this idea of whether it be eternal generation or eternal spiration? And, and for so many, that, that was a conflict. Uh, that, that was a conflict. I think uh, what you're getting at here is so important because... Uh, there has to be uh, this distinction between essence and persons and understanding how exactly the essence can remain immutable um, in, in light of uh, its subsisting in these three persons. Maybe I could push you a little bit further here and, and as if, as if uh, the issue wasn't difficult enough. Uh, I, I introduced the uh, attribute, attribute of immutability. Uh, but maybe we could also talk about simplicity. Uh, Augustine and other fathers believe God is simple. He's not, he's not uh, compounded of parts, for example. And um, today, sometimes thinkers, whether they're theologians or philosophers, they've objected to simplicity on the basis of God's triunity. Uh, you just described a minute ago how Augustine responds to um, this claim that, uh, well, if there's an eternal generation, God can't be uh, immutable anymore. Uh, how does Augustine, uh, how does he then move from immutability to something like simplicity? How does, how does he, for example, 
uh, speak of the Trinity in terms of is this introducing some type of multiplicity in God that would thereby preclude simplicity or or not? What do, what do you think? Well, I love that question because if if there really is multiplicity in God, then Augustine, of course, was um, keenly aware in a, in a pagan culture. You know, if you if you have multiplicity in God, then then um, you're worshiping multiple multiple gods. Mm. You know, that's that's the fundamental point is that um, you know, there is the question of um, are we worshiping multiple gods or not? And, and of course, this is the issue pressed by Islam and also by um, you know rabbinic Judaism. You know, a real concern, a real concern that um, that Christians are, are worshiping multiple gods, and so that Augustine, of course, living in the pagan culture, but you know, um, of course, of course, well before Islam, but was um, well, he was concerned about this. You know, so uh, obviously he would definitely want to defend um, God's simplicity, and so he's got to sort of remind us here that um, I mean, this is going to be a little bit difficult to understand, just just like anything when we talk about the Holy Trinity, but he's he tries to clarify that the Father, Son, and Spirit are—they're unlike other triads that you can think of. You know, you could think of um, like the triad of. Well, I'm trying to think of, of a rock, a rock group. Well, I guess the Beatles had four four members, but anyway, <laughs> but just think, think of three. Think of three. Three well, anything. Think of three anything. Beach boys won't and, work and either. It's—it's uh, it's just no good. Yeah, it won't work. It won't work. <laughs> Yeah, so, so so think of three anything, and then and then you realize though that the Father, Son, and Spirit are quite different because they do not add anything to each other. Because mm. the Father, Son, and Spirit are not more than the Father. That's that's a crucial point actually, and, and it's kind of a something hard to understand. But in fact, the Father is God. The Father is fully God. You know, He doesn't need um, the Spirit and the Son. To, to be fully God. He is fully God. And so the Father, Son, and the Spirit are, are God. They're fully God. But each of them is, is fully God. So, so we're dealing here with something, um, something that isn't like a normal, isn't like a, a normal three, isn't like a normal multiplicity. Um, and so, but then, but then Augustine points out, he would point out that in fact, God's Unity also is not like a normal unity. It's not like a normal unity where we can sort of add one thing to another and we kind of build up a unity, um, say like a, like I'm a unity, and then if you add um, me and my, my children, then I'm, um, you know, there would be seven people or whatever. So God is, it's, the mystery of God is this, is that God is not one being um, over against some other beings. So like, when we think of God as one, oftentimes when you think of something being one, you think of it as distinct, and therefore it's not like the other thing. And therefore, if you have one star, you could, you could think of one star, and then you add another star, and that would be two stars. But God's unity, though, is, is quite different. God's unity is because he's infinite, infinite to be, infinite being, infinite act. So he's absolutely infinite. There is there is nothing over against God, and and creatures are are finite participations in God that God Himself has created and willed, but they're not over against God. God is infinite, and so so this mystery of number, Augustine's basic point here is that is that number when we speak of God in terms of number, we're not if we if we just think we're doing normal mathematics, 
you know, then we're making a big mistake. You know, because God is a mystery um, that is not a mystery of addition. So, so that's that's his fundamental point there, um, is that the numbers one and three function differently with regard to the Trinity than with regard to creatures. And and the basic point, of course, is that divine persons are, are not three entities. You know, they're they're not three substances. So each of them is God, and together they are fully God. And um, you know, then we have to kind of inquire, well, what could this mystery mean? You know, are they really three? You know, are they really? And then so on. But, but he's, he's very firm in reminding us about number here. We've been talking to Matthew Levering about Augustine and the Trinity, but let's take a break and hear from one of our sponsors. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Philosophy degree program is designed to equip leaders interested in building up the church. The Ph.D. Biblical Studies program at Midwestern Seminary provides opportunities for advanced research and preparation in theology in an environment passionate about God's primary plan for the advancement of the gospel, the local church. Choose from multiple emphases and let your advanced degree open up new opportunities for ministry in our rapidly changing world. With our modular program of study, you can remain in your current ministry setting. But we've also recently introduced the residency, an experiential component to the Ph.D. track where local doctoral students receive one-on-one coaching and mentoring and a community context in which to bolster their studies. Get your Ph.D. today for the church. We are back from our break and eager to jump back into a conversation about Augustine and the Trinity with Matthew Levering. It's an excellent point and and one that uh, even for today, right, I mean, we're we're not, we're talking about Augustine, but... uh, we're also, you know, thinking of Augustine in light of our own context. When we think about some of the challenges today, it, it's so important uh, for pastors and theologians and, and even just churchgoers to, to understand that we have to articulate the Trinity that, that doesn't comp- compromise either one of those. It, it doesn't compromise that one substance that, that you're referring to. Uh, and at the same time, when we understand the simplicity of of God's essence. Um, we're not we're not driven into some type of Sabellianism or modalism. That one substance. Then we we describe this this God as one who is simultaneously triune. And like you said, that's a mystery. How how do we then make sense of it? How do, how how do we articulate that? Well, we have to be very careful. We have to to say, well, this one undivided, simple substance or essence, it, it subsists in these three persons. Uh, and, and like you said, it, it, you, you were so careful. It's, it's not three entities as if uh, three substances. Um, so the, the Trinitarian vocabulary there, I know to some Christians it might seem technical perhaps and maybe unnecessary, but goodness, it, it certainly guards us from, uh, you know, going off the road into a ditch on either side, either into a, a type of tritheism or perhaps on the other side of the road, a, a type of modalism or Sibelianism. One of the things I, I really enjoy about Augustine, uh, his, his work on the Trinity, is he makes much of the names of God, the biblical names of God in Scripture. And it's almost as if Augustine can't help himself. He, he has to camp out for a while as he's just uh, lost in, in the the uh, the many different names that the biblical authors will use to to somehow capture just f- from their finite uh, you know creaturely level capture this 
this mystery. And Augustine makes much of this. He, he recognizes how uh, these names also are significant uh, as, as they're applied to even specific persons of, of the Godhead. And on that basis, Augustine, just to give one example, Augustine will say, well, the Holy Spirit, it's appropriate to call him a gift or love between the Father and the Son. How, how do titles like these enable the Spirit, for example, to then dispense gifts of grace and love to sinners? Well, that's, that's that's a big question there, and and so, you know, with a, with the basic the basic thing that Augustine begins with, you know, is that is that these biblical names they they have they have real meaning. It's it's not just it's not just extrinsic. There's some there's some deep deep reality they're pointing to, and so um, of course the son being named Word, you know, that's um that's crucial, and that that's sort of the heart of Augustine's Trinitarian thinking. It begins it begins there. But but then when he gets to the spirit, he's kind of he does sort of you know contemplate or you know look around in, in scripture, and he's sort of wondering you know um, you know does the scripture give some insights um, into into um, the spirit and in, in in the way that the sun in the way that we get insight into the sun, and so <clears throat> pardon me. So so what he looks to is. Especially things like Romans five five, or um, he also looks at passages from Ephesians or Acts or one John, and he finds um, passages that, in his view, link the Spirit especially to love and to gift. And and if you if you go back and look at these passages, some of them will be unpersuasive, and and some some of them will be will be um, instructive. You know, it's um, Acts. Um, a number of passages there talking about the gift of the Spirit and, and, and so on. So, so rather than, I won't, I won't go through all the different biblical passages, but he, he, he finds a pattern in Scripture that even though, of course, sometimes the Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Truth, Augustine, Augustine sees there that the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And so he, um, he affirms that, but he's looking for a name that specifically applies to the Spirit. And he finds um, love and gift. You know, um, the love poured into our hearts, and, and and so on. So he he basically, of course, this this fits with Augustine's whole pattern because if you have um if you have um, the Father and His Word, then then the Father knowing Himself, you would also have the Father as He knows Himself loving Himself, and so on. So that fits with the um, the generation of the Word, um, this this vibration of the Spirit as love. And so, and then of course, also he points out that love is the greatest gift, you know, the greatest possible gift um, is love. And so, the Spirit then is love in the Trinity. Augustine concludes, and on that basis, then he says that when when the mission of the Spirit, when the Spirit indwells us, well, the Spirit, um, his whole mission is to be love, you know, drawing us into the Trinitarian life to be that gift. And so the gifts of the Spirit and the love poured into our hearts, um, these are these are more than just images. These are these are work that um, is rightly appropriated to the Spirit, as the Spirit does, um, you know, um, indwells us and, and and transforms us and leads us, um, unites us to Christ and leads us to the Father. Now, when you you were just describing how I, I like how you worded that, how how the Spirit 
doesn't just come to us, but then he, he takes us back to the triune God. Uh, that, that language there, it, it shows us the, um, the movement that's taking place, uh, that, that God in grace descends to us. But then uh, he doesn't just leave us where we are uh, or in the condition, condition that we are in. Uh, there's a movement back, back then to the triune God himself. I think what's being assumed by Augustine in so many ways is that there is some type of correlation. Uh, there's some type of correlation at play between the Trinity and uh, humans made because they are made in the, the image of this this God. Uh, now, that becomes, you know, if we think back to your, um, your outline at the beginning uh, where you work through each of the books— uh, that becomes in the latter half of the book. That becomes a significant uh, point for Augustine, uh, and, and he's going to turn mm-hmm. to a passage like Colossians three ten, and mm-hmm. argue uh, the, not just that passage, but others argue that uh, the 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 idea of a mind, for example, goes a long way to explain well what is this likeness and and what what is, what does this image mean exactly. Uh, maybe you could tease that out some. Uh, what is that correlation for Gus? And, and maybe that uh, focus for a second on on how he turns to uh, something like the mind. How, how why does he do that? And, and why for for Augustine is that so pivotal to this correlation between Trinity and humanity? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. No, that, that's good. Well, well, so so it's kind of natural to to try to explain the Trinity and, and a number of the earlier earlier fathers that had done this to try to give some, you know, you're 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 preaching as it were, you're preaching about the Trinity, and you you, get, you try to give some example. And so so kind of people today you you often hear at least from the we hear from the pulpit um, about the three leaf clover, or, or something like that. Right. You, you see what I mean? And so they're they're looking for triads, you know, yeah. um, things that are that are three three leaves, but one clover maybe yeah. or something. And so Augustine doesn't use that one because he's, um, you know, he sees that there's a number of problems <laughs> problems there because anyway, I won't go into that. But the the basic point is that, um, you know, he's arguing essentially that maybe the best approach to this is to is to sort of inquire into this mystery that, that humans are made in the image of God. You know, so, may, so how would that be, he, he's kind of wondering. And, and of course, you, you would know from contemporary biblical scholarship, um, tends to emphasize that, that humans are made in the image of God, um, you know, either, either oftentimes because, because we have the ability to, to have dominion, the, uh, the ability to be stewards or to rule over, over the earth. And then um, sometimes you, would, you also find that um, a real emphasis on Christ as, as the image of God, and so therefore, um, you know, since Christ is the image of God, um, therefore we are we're the image of God. But but the bottom line for Augustine is uh, that he he sees that both of these points are true. But his 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 fundamental point though is is that look, you know, um, Christ Christ um, couldn't couldn't know and love us if if he if he didn't have um, intellect and will. You know, if he weren't rational. Right. You know, in other words, if you're if you're just if you're just a, a um, an animal, you know, uh, um, even the animals are wonderful. But if you're solely an animal, you you really don't have that ability to relate to God and to and to others in this in this freedom and this intellectual power of knowing and loving. And so you can really only rule with with a justice like Christ does. You know, um, rule with this incredible love and this wisdom uh, if 
you if you have this if you have a mind, and so and so Augustine then um, probes into this mystery of um, of course which it is mystery the mystery of our our consciousness our our mind our our knowing and loving, our willing, and so he's probing into this and he realizes that that in many ways um, you could you could think of this as as the consciousness or your mind um, knowing itself and you can you can at least conceive of a, a possibility where your mind could, could know itself completely. And if there were such a possibility, the mind knowing itself completely, um, you would have something that's perfectly one, yet distinct, the mind and its knowledge of itself. The mind knowing and the mind, the mind known. The mind and its knowledge of itself, so perfectly one and yet distinct. And so he thinks, you know, this, this could be a real image here. This could, because of course the mind and its and and the mind when it knows itself also loves itself as good. So but but that loving, the mind's loving of itself is also the very same thing as the mind. If the mind fully loves what it is and and fully lo- uh, fully loves um what it knows itself to be, you know, as it were. And so so he just he um, moves from there as it were into a um a, a triad where where um, the reality is perfectly one and yet perfectly distinct, and so this is an image, mind knowing and uh, mind knowledge and will. Uh, this is the, uh, the fundamental image that he arrives at, of course. But then he he takes it a step further and basically says that it's not really an image until we are until we're until we are knowing and loving the Holy Trinity Himself, and that's where we're fully the image. That's where we're fully the Christ. The image we're fully in Christ and and fully in the Spirit when we are knowing in Christ and loving in the Spirit the Holy Trinity, God the Father, and so on. You, you can you can see the you can see the logic here of what of what he's doing. And of course, to to truly know and love the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ourselves must be holy. Our minds must be elevated. You know, um, we we really have to. We, you know, it's a state, a state of being purified. You know, where we, where we come to, uh, you, you know what, you know what I mean. It's difficult. Um, you know, for us, I'm sitting there trying to worship God, but instead, I'm thinking about, um, you know, what I'm going to eat for lunch or something. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But Augustine's saying, hey, you know, we we can raise our minds to God, and in fact, the Holy Trinity is inviting us to um, to dwell with Him for some time, to spend some time with Him. So that, that's the, that's basically what he's up to. One of the things that it's just I find so refreshing when I read Augustine is there's never there's never a point at which for Augustine in, in this work on the Trinity there's never a point at which this very difficult sometimes uh, very advanced uh, discussion of the Trinity is it, there's never a point at which for Augustine it's removed from uh, doxology and the Christian life. Uh, he sometimes today we tend to to think and function even in ministry we tend to function with that type of uh, very strict dichotomy between theology and doxology. But uh, in, in light of what you just described, that's just not the case for Augustine. And so even as he's trying to understand what it, what does it mean for us to be in the image of God. He can't separate that from uh, his discussion of the Trinity, nor can he separate his discussion of the Trinity from 
from uh, how it affects us as, as image bearers. Uh, it's, it just goes to show us that uh, theology really does matter. It really does make a difference in how we live our lives as those who are supposed to image this this triune God. Now, I'm going to, uh, as we close here, I, I want to play devil's advocate for a second and throw a difficult uh, but very common uh, objection out there. And uh, you can agree or disagree with it uh, how you like. Uh, sometimes, well, d- really due to, to Augustine's emphasis on the, the unity of the divine essence, which we talked about earlier, uh, uh, just a second ago, we're, we're talking about uh, the, the triunity. But earlier we talked about this one undivided, simple divine essence. Because of his emphasis there, some have argued that, well, Augustine must succumb to a type of modalism or Sibelianism, one that would, would strip Father, Son, and Spirit of their personhood, uh, as if the, uh, the persons are just a, a repetition of the essence and uh, personhood is, is lost somewhere therein. Uh, how would you, wh- what do you make of this type of critique of Augustine? Is it fair? Is it unfair? Is there a l- truth? Is there a little bit of truth, but also some balance needed? What do you, what do you think? Well, you know, um, uh, essentially, essentially what's happening in this type of critique is that, in my view, that, that people really haven't gone far enough into Augustine. You know, essentially they just haven't, um, you, you, you'd kind of have to go far along, along with him on, on his terms, as it were. Um, and so, so, of course, Augustine would, ne- would, never think of, um, would never think of the Holy Trinity as being some sort of like um, triple repetition of, of the divine substance, because, because the, the, substance, the substance doesn't really... It, just think of it this way. The substance, the divine substance in the sun, when I say that the sun is fully God, the divine substance in the Son does not relate to the divine substance in the Father. See, the substance is not what relates. So there is no repetition of the, of, as it were, of, of the substance, as, as you can see. You know, because um, again, we're, we we tend to, to to think of these imaginative ways where we, where we think, um, you know, when we um, when we die and come before the come before the Holy Trinity and, and begin to experience the fullness of this mystery. You know, we'll we'll see the sun standing over here. Um, you know, in the um, in the Holy Trinity, he'll be over there, and then the the Father will be over here, and then the the Spirit will be over there. And so we tend to think of it, and we do tend to think we can tend to think of it in tritheistic ways, but we don't have to. That's Augustine's key insight: is that we don't we don't have to think of it like this. We can we can do better. We can do better than this. And so and so for Augustine, one of the important things then is to is to realize that. Um, that you know, when we use the word person, um, it's true. It's true that the Spirit and Father and Son are infinitely personal in the sense that they are, they're infinitely, um, you know, they, uh, they're well, they're certainly not not impersonal. And then they are, what I guess I would describe it as infinitely personal because they they have the, the mystery of who they are. Their personal properties, the properties of, of distinctiveness. They have, they possess this infinite distinctiveness, this infinite distinctiveness that is relational, profoundly relational. But, but what Augustine's wanting to tell us, though, is look, you know, we we don't really understand um, the divine persons, and we certainly can't think of them as like three people. 
and because of course of course the word person is an, an analogous use it's it's not jesus jesus didn't come to reveal um in any way he didn't come to reveal that that hey there's there's a guy up there named named the father and he's he's one person and i'm a i'm another person jesus doesn't even use the word person um he comes to reveal this mystery of of infinite relational communion but of course we we can speak about it in terms of the personal properties such as paternity that only belongs to the father or affiliation and we know that these properties, um, of course, also word or image or love or gift. You know, we we know that these personal names or personal properties um, are not not enough to express the mystery, but they begin to express the mystery. And we know they're not they're not they're not impersonal in any way. They're they're profoundly distinct. They're infinitely relational, and um, you know, um, profoundly, uh, infinitely uh, possessed of of um, distinct. Uh, of what you might call personal distinction, but nonetheless, they're not personal distinction in the way that we experience personal distinction as though that we were just dealing with like three people, you know, um, or three essences, or three um, three sets of intellects, you know, like three intellects, mm-hmm. you know. Because of course, if God, if God is, if, we, if it turns out that the Trinity is just like three big intellects, right? You know, um, one's named Father, one's named Son, mm-hmm. and the other's named Spirit. And there are three great intellects. Well, look, we're worshiping three gods. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, of course, it's not that. It's one a mystery that goes well beyond that, but is infinitely better than that. Mm. And, and certainly, that would, uh, you know, you mentioned three intellects. We could even talk about whether it's intellects or wills. Uh, if, mm-hmm. if suddenly we were to say, well, there's three wills in God, uh, that too would start to flirt with some type of tritheism. Oh, it would be. It would be tritheism. It would. It would. Yeah. I mean, it has to be because um, you know, if, essentially, if if you have three three distinct um, sub- substantial, well, once you get distinct wills, that's a distinct substance right there. You know, so it's three substances, and and of course, once you have three substances, that's that's three gods. So, so we don't want to go there. But the reason we don't want to go there is because we want to go better than that. Not not we don't want less personal. We want more more personal. Right. Right. And so the infinite distinctions in the one substance, how could this be? You, you see what I mean? The infinite distinctions of, of the relational communion, uh, how could this be? What is this? And so we have some insight into it through word or paternity, and then the names, the names that we've been given and that have been revealed to us by Jesus Christ. And so we have real insight into it, but, but we, can't, um, we can't bring it down to our level. We've got to get up to its level, <laughs> to the level... Of its, you know, of God's uh, wonderful, infinite, uh, tri-personal communion, you know. So we we go to God's level. We don't we don't bring God down to our level. <laughs> that kind of thing. That, that's the main. That's Augustine's main point in De Trinitate. That's how we get the true friendship. That's how we get the true peace that we that we crave that 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 we need so much. You know, as we allow God to draw us in, into Him, uh, as He's doing, of course, in Jesus Christ. And through through his spirit, we've been discussing the doctrine of the Trinity uh, in reference to the great uh, the great theologian. Maybe some would say the greatest theologian, Saint Augustine, and we've been doing so with Matthew Levering. Uh, I would encourage our listeners if you've never read 
any of the books that uh, that he's written, I would encourage our listeners to maybe pick up uh, any one of, of his books. Perhaps it's uh, his, his new book, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? Uh, maybe it's it's a, a more advanced book on metaphysics, uh, his book Scripture and Metaphysics, that looks at, uh, not, not Augustine, but this time uh, Thomas Aquinas. Uh, or pick up his book, uh, The Theology of Augustine. I think you will find... Uh, a friend in Augustine, and one that is going to uh, carefully uh, guide you along the path of Trinitarian orthodoxy. And yet at the same time, this isn't, uh, this isn't a, a dry intellectual discussion that's irrelevant to the Christian life, as we've discussed in our time together. This Augustine firmly believes that, no, the, the Trinity uh, takes us, uh, well, the Trinity is what helps us make sense of the Christian life and ultimately leads us to a greater devotion uh, of our triune God. In the end, uh, worship itself, uh, worship of this triune God, this one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Matthew, thank you for joining me on the, the Credo Podcast. Uh, thank you. And in Augustine's books, each of them are acts of worship, especially um, Confession, City of God, and, and De Trinitate. There, so I, I forget my books. Just go read Augustine. You know, they're, they're acts of worship. <laughs> Absolutely. Now you can fill up on theology each day by visiting credomag.com. There you will find the latest issues of Credo Magazine with articles on key doctrines of the faith and regular video interviews with Dr. Matthew Barrett where he answers some of the toughest theological questions of our day. Be sure to subscribe to Credo Podcasts to join the conversation, a conversation where doctrine matters.